Welcome in to another episode of the Future Sox Roundup. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host alongside Elijah Evans. We're back on the Broadcast Basement Network. It is our second podcast here, the Future Sox brand. We thank Chris Lanuti again for allowing us to be part of his platform. We're really excited about the new venture because I'm sure there are plenty of you out there who are hearing my voice for the first time, and I welcome you. I hope you enjoy this product because we do multiple episodes a week here on the Future Sox brand. Future Sox podcast release every Tuesday. Myself and James Fox put together, uh, I don't know, about 45 minutes, maybe a half hour's worth of content talking about the main stories of the Chicago White Sox covering all aspects of the organization. Here on the Future Sox Roundup, we really want to have our vision tunneled to specific players, happenings within the organization, breaking down performances, and that's what we're going to do today. We have a lot of news to catch up on first, so let's get right into it. The Chicago White Sox made three hires. Chris Getz is bringing in some friends into his front office. Josh Barfield, formerly of the Arizona Diamondbacks, he is named the assistant general manager. Brian Bannister, former pitcher and director of pitching, is now the director of pitching for the Chicago White Sox. Spent time in San Francisco, also played in Kansas City, has a history with Chris Getz. And Gene Watson, formerly of the Kansas City Royals, also coming over to the Chicago White Sox. He was formerly vice president of scouting for Kansas City, so I'm sure he and Josh Barfield are going to work together. Andy Barquette, currently director of hitting, oversees all minor league operations on that end, still part of the organization, so I think that's a positive. Mike Shirley, also still part of the organization. I think that's a positive. We'll have way more information on all of these hires coming up soon on the Future Sox podcast we're working on, getting experts on to talk more about it because we want to learn, as you do as White Sox fans. Today on tap, we have to get to a couple of bits of information. One, the Arizona Fall League roster is out for the Chicago White Sox. We're going to go through the names as well as the names that we want to highlight who participated in single A this year. That includes the low A Kannapolis Cannonballers as well as the advanced A Winston-Salem Dash. Let's go through the names of the Arizona Fall League participants for the Chicago White Sox in 2023. And we'll welcome in Elijah Evans as well. Right-handed pitcher Addison Coffey, right-handed pitcher Yosimar Cuisine, left-handed pitcher Jake Eater, left-handed pitcher Frazier Ellard, right-handed pitcher Jordan Leisure, shortstop Colson Montgomery, third baseman Brian Ramos, and outfielder Jacob Berg. So there's a lot to get to here, Elijah. First and foremost, let's highlight the Arizona Fall League roster. It was anticipated that Colson Montgomery was going to participate. He had a late start to the year. We talk about it at nauseum. He finished the year strong. He started the year strong once it began, and now he's getting a little extra playing time with some pretty competitive competition. So I'm looking forward to the names that will participate and that we'll be following in the Arizona Fall League. How are you feeling about this list? First of all, uh, I'm very excited to be back, Mike, and it's good to be talking with you. Um, and I'm feeling really good about this list. Um, I'm, I'm liking it. It's exciting. I think the White Sox actually put together one of the more exciting groups of players that's heading to the Fall League. And like you said, you know, starting with Montgomery and Ramos, um, Colson Montgomery is a great player. He's probably the top-ranked prospect at the Arizona Fall League um, when you look at consensus rankings. And he's a guy that, you know, he didn't get enough innings this year, and he showed a lot of the same stuff we've seen the last year and a half from him. 
when he was on the field, but you know, he only got to put together less than a month and a half of games in Birmingham. So it, this is a great opportunity for him. And Brian Ramos, additionally, you know, missed a little over a month to start the season. So he was limited to around, I think, around 80 games this season instead of, you know, a full 100-something in Birmingham. So it's it's great for these two just to get innings. And they are a big part of the White Sox future. There's a real chance that the left side of the infield in Chicago, post Tim Anderson and Yohan Moncada, is Brian Ramos and Colson Montgomery every day by, you know, 2025, realistically. So these two getting innings against a lot of competitive pitchers and a lot of, you know, top prospects is huge. It's going to be great for their development. They need these innings. They need these at-bats. And it's just going to be really fun to watch what they can do. And this is a time where a lot of prospects take that next step in their pedigree. And they really make a jump to being, you know, more nationally regarded as opposed to just within the system. And I, I can definitely see that happening for either Montgomery or Ramos. Uh, additionally, you know, Jake Eater is a guy who fans were not happy about the Jake Berger trade. And we've talked about that at nauseum, but Eater has a ton of potential. He showed it many, many times for the Marlins prior to his Tommy John this season. He just, he wasn't right. When he came to the White Sox, he was working on his mechanics that the focus of this season for him was getting his body, right. Getting his body back in throwing shape, working on his lower half. It wasn't working the way he wanted it to. He told me that a while ago. And, and it's just, you you need to get your body right coming off Tommy John. And for him now having a chance to get some innings under his rep is just like Montgomery and Ramos. It's huge. And Eater is a guy who I still have a ton of hope for. And I think a lot of people that have watched him carefully know that he has a lot of upside, but he needs more time to really continue to work on his body and get these innings under his rep. And, and the Arizona fall league is, is the perfect opportunity to do that. Yeah, you hit on a handful of names there, of course. Eater fractured his foot. That was a big deal. And, of course, you mentioned the Tommy John surgery. Looking at Jordan Leisure, it's an interesting name who's close to Major League Ready. Didn't see him in the big league level, but will get extra innings as well. Addison Coffey, a relief pitcher who was drafted in 2020, severely underslot, is making a name for himself. He's trying to push his way to the big leagues or at least get looks at AAA going into next season. Frazier Ellard, a 6'4 lefty. We'll see how the reliever is able to handle that competition. Jacob Burke is a dog, a guy who just competes all the time. And Yossi Marcuzin got a late start as well, a highlighted international signing. So we're celebrating some of the names that are headed to the Arizona Fall League a little bit further into their development. Let's take a step back now as we look at a lot of the names that Elijah put together. Now, this is a list that Elijah wanted to highlight, and I wanted to give Elijah credit because he works very hard. We're looking at the single-A list of players within the Chicago White Sox organization who made an impact, who are taking steps in their career. Canapolis Cannonballers, let's look at the record. Overall, 67-64. and 64. Not too shabby for a bunch of first-year guys experiencing professional baseball for the first time in their lives. Moving on to Winston-Salem, 60-66. and 66. Not terrible. I'll take it. Winston-Salem started 34-29. and 29. They finished the second half 26-37. and 37. We saw a plethora of promotions from Winston-Salem to Birmingham. In Canapolis, 35 and 30 to start the year, 32 and 34, same deal. A lot of Canapolis guys move up to Winston-Salem. Let's talk about it. Uh, wherever you want to go first, Elijah, there's Shane Murphy, Tyler Schweitzer, Aldrin Batista. The list goes on and on. So the floor is yours, sir. Let's start with some of these pitchers that, you know, have been in the system a little bit longer. Um, we've got three different kind of sections of players that I put together for this list. And this is really, you know, the opportunity to highlight 
players that aren't on, you know, a lot of the top rankings. Some of these, a few of these guys made our top 30 list, but nobody on these rankings is, you know, top 20 in the White Sox system for us or for any major publication. So I really wanted to take the time to look at some of these players who might not be the top ranked guys, but put together some really impressive numbers. So, you know, let's start with a guy like Shane Murphy. Um, Murphy was, I think we've mentioned him on the podcast before. He was a 14th rounder last year in 2022. Um, community college guy under, you know, a late round pick, didn't sign for much money. But this is a guy who's a who's a left-hander. He's 6'5". He's just a really, I guess that term crafty left-hander, I think qualifies um, for what Shane Murphy does. He, he put together, I mean, in his first professional season, this is almost 100 innings of pitching. He went 96 and two-thirds innings with 98 strikeouts and a 3.63 ERA across his 21 starts, a 108 whip. He doesn't walk many people at all. He's really consistent with his command. And the biggest thing for Murphy is really just limiting, you know, home runs. He allowed 13 home runs, which is not ideal. But at the end of the day, he he did not give up a lot of hits. He did not give up a lot of walks. And he's just a really steady, consistent pitcher who is, again, at 22 years old already, this is a guy who I, I can see starting in Winston next year after spending most of the year in Kannapolis. Um, and I think we could see him, you know, in, in Birmingham easily by next some point mid next season. Looking at Shane Murphy, the whip stands out to me. And at 22 years old, getting through a full professional season, making 21 starts, close to 100 innings, that's a massive win. So in advanced, in terms of age, in advanced arm, participating in low A, got a full season under his belt. You talk about the way he kind of peppers hitters with his repertoire. Wonder how that's going to play in the next level. Who do you got next? Tyler Schweitzer, another, let's go, I mean, sticking with the 2022 draft, it's it's kind of exciting when you look at this last year's draft from the White Sox. There's there's a very large portion of the players the White Sox drafted last season that looked like they could be, you know, impact players in the future this season and showed themselves as guys who are worth monitoring. And then Schweitzer, you know, similarly to Murphy, he, he started, he spent, he actually ended up finishing his season in Winston um, after 13 starts in Kannapolis, made 10 more appearances in Winston. Um, but he's a guy who, you know, again, first professional season, 23 years old, a small left-hander, kind of, again, that crafty type of thing. And he, 121 strikeouts across 107 and a third innings. Uh, it's really it's really worth noting that Schweitzer's got some some really nice stuff. And he's a guy who I think is, is still kind of underrated. He was ranked 25th in our uh, top 30. And I think, you know, he, he had some bumps this year. I think his biggest thing is his command. 45 walks is something you'd like to see cut down. But you can live with 45 walks in his first professional season if you're striking out 121 guys. And continuing to have success at the next level, once he got promoted to you know, a 3.86 ERA in Kannapolis and a 4.08 in Winston. So not a huge drop-off in his numbers once he got promoted. He was getting hit a little bit harder, but generally speaking, still racking up the strikeouts fairly consistently um, and just doing a lot of the right things. And he finished the season on a really good note. His August, he had two, he had a 2.35 ERA in August in Winston-Salem. So this is a guy who, you know, you saw the bumps throughout the season, but first professional year, left-hander, got some really nice stuff. Um, and Schweitzer's another guy from last year's draft that is going to be somebody we want to follow. Especially looking at the success. I would call it a success as he moved to the next level. So w- when it comes to starting pitchers, especially participating in f- their first full professional season, I look 
at the amount of starts that they make. If they're deemed a starter, make your starts. And Schweitzer made 22 out of 23. So he appeared in 23 games and made 22 starts. So that's outstanding. And as a left-handed pitcher, you want to add that pitching depth within the system. A year of development, we know these guys are far away participating in low and high A, but these are the steps. It's the first steps to getting to that next level. And look, we had a conversation, Elijah, on the top 30 discussion regarding Aldrin Batista because his stuff flashed. Yeah, Batista is a really exciting arm. I, I think Batista is one of the more exciting arms. Um, that was, you know, the White Sox, we're going to get to another guy after this, but the, the deadline was a success. And people can look at it how they want, but the deadline brought in some really talented players. And Batista was one that wasn't even, you know, headline at all. He was brought in for in exchange for international signing money, which the Dodgers went and used to sign a big time prospect, which is fine. But for the White Sox perspective, bringing in uh, a guy like Aldrin Batista, who he had a 266 ERA in his five starts with Canapolis um, after dominating at the complex league earlier this season. So this is a guy at 20 years old who has plenty of stuff to dream about and just a really good mix of talent and ability and just somebody that is is projectable, but is also already seeing results, right? You're, you're not looking at a 20 year old who you're saying, Oh, maybe he could be something. You're looking at a 20 year old who threw in, you know, in his down the stretch of the season, got promoted to, to single a ball five games in single a 23 and two thirds innings, only seven runs allowed. That's good for a two, six, six ERA 21 strikeouts across those 23 innings. And this is just a generally a pitcher who he looked really good. I watched one or two of his starts and he just, he looks like a guy who can, who can throw. I mean, he's got a, a nasty sinker. Then his sinker is, it's almost got some rise to it. It's just a really nice pitch. And these days, you know, you don't see a lot of guys that work with primary fastballs as opposed to, you know, a two seam or a sinker or whatever it might be. Um, and this is Batista is a guy who is just a really strong repertoire of pitches. He's got a nice looking a mixture of his, you know, his slider and his sinker that just really pair well together. And if he can continue to develop, you know, a third pitch, he's been working on a changeup and continue to kind of work on that command. This is a guy that we could be looking at, you know, he'll start in candy next year, I think. And he could be a guy at, at just 20 years old right now that we, we project as a big part of the future. Eventually he'll turn 21 in May of next year. And we're thinking about, the frame, 6'2", 185, seven walks only in 23 and two-thirds innings. And again, a guy acquired from the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we hear about the Dodgers pitching infrastructure all the time. And Nick Nestrini specifically was one to highlight that in particular. So more Dodgers arms. Gimme, gimme, gimme. All right, let's talk Let's talk Juan Carrela. This is a guy who, you know, it was a, it was an underrated acquisition, I think, for, you know, turning something the White Sox, I, I believe, need to do more and more of in the next year, especially as they work on this rebuild. Turning, you know, veteran contracts into any sort of prospect is great. Turning, a, you know, a one-year reliever into a guy that looks like has legit big league rotation upside if things click for him um, is a whole nother thing. I mean, that's just an absolute steal of a trade. He was good with New York. He, you know, earlier this season in, in high A, had a 3-6-7 ERA across his 83 innings and 17 games um, before the deadline, and then came over to the White Sox, immediately assigned to still at the high A level to Winston-Salem, a 3-3-4 ERA across six starts with the White Sox, 32 and a third innings. So this is a guy who, you know, 21 years old, and he threw 115 innings this season. So that is something where you, there's that balance, right, between wanting to keep guys fresh and also 
exciting and wanting to get them innings because they're succeeding. 136 strikeouts across 115 and two-thirds innings for Juan Carrillo. This is a guy who just looks great, 6'3", projectable frame, continued to look better since joining the White Sox, right? It's not like he took any sort of dive. Um, and for him, it's really going to be, it's another guy who just needs to keep working and keep getting, honing in on that command a little bit because he, you know, 43 walks is a little much, but it's nothing crazy. Um, and generally just a, a good pitch mix of a fastball and a sinker. He kind of pairs both his two different types of fastballs. And he's got a slider that has been solid at times um, and just looked like a very good quality arm throughout the year and I think I mean he's he's just been really good throughout this season and with the you know with the White Sox he continued to look good his numbers his strikeout numbers dropped a little bit after joining the organization um, post deadline but I think this is somebody who we we think will be in Birmingham sooner than later after an entire season with 115 innings throwing in in high A this year. That's the highlight, 115 and two-thirds innings for Juan Carrela at 21 years old so give me that. Ronnie Hernandez is, 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 we were talking about pitching. Let's move on to just a catcher that we'd like to put on your radar as White Sox fans. He's an 18-year-old, international signing out of Venezuela, and he's caught already 80 games in his young professional career, now 35 last year in the Dominican Summer League. This year, spent his entire season in the ACL, which is at 18 years old, I don't know, a year and a half. He's playing against players about a year and a half his superior and was catching throughout. However, Elijah, we're highlighting the offense because it seems like this man can hit. Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I've heard good things about his defense. I, it's hard to watch ACL games, but it seems from things I've heard that he's a guy who could be, you know, have defensive upside behind the plate in addition to being a hitter. But, you know, uh, th- listen to this slash line, Mike. At, at 18 years old, Ronnie Hernandez put up a 338 batting average, 430 on base percentage, and a 493 slugging percentage. That's good for a 923 OPS at 18 years old. Yes, it's the complex league. Uh, those numbers are still really, really nice. Uh, this is a guy, I mean, 22 walks to 35 strikeouts, right? So he's got kind of a developed approach. You, it's really rare to see anybody that age have any sort of you know, consistent plate discipline. And it seems like he's been that guy. Um, in addition to, you know, in 45 games, right, he's, you know, 12 doubles, 36 RBIs, not a ton of power upside, um, but somebody who, you know, 18, he's still growing. He's 6'1", he's 200 pounds. I mean, he's still a young guy. Um, he still definitely has room to grow and gain into, can, you know, ease into some of that power. But generally just a consistent hitter, really quality contact skills, and somebody who, you know, looks like a way more refined than you expect from an 18-year-old catcher. Um, I think he'll he'll be in Canny next year. Um, and he was there at the end of the season on the development list. He didn't play any games, but he was there to kind of get the lay of the land. And I think there's a, there's a most likely he'll start the season in Kenny. And that's going to be somebody who we, you know, for, for a system that hadn't, didn't a year or two ago, looked like it had absolutely no potential catchers has added, you know, Edgar Caro. And we talked about Calvin, Calvin Harris in the draft and Michael Turner, who we're going to get to a little later. And and just generally it's a way deeper catching system. And this is now the youngest guy who's kind of can be the project catcher um, at the single A level. Continuing on the catching front, we got to talk about Michael Turner. As you mentioned, this is somebody that we highlighted early in this podcast development because first and foremost, Michael Turner was showcasing the pop. So this is another guy from last year's draft, ninth round pick last year. He was drafted out of, you know, five years of college at Arkansas. So this is somebody who has plenty of experience against high level competition. He immediately went to Winston-Salem and produced, I mean, 871 OPS over a 300 batting average 
tons of walks, more walks than strikeouts, 64 walks this season as a, you know, his first professional season walking 64 times at any level is pretty insane. Um, and then just, you know, 26 doubles. So gap to gap guy, really consistent with the bat has, has good discipline, just, just an all around, very well-rounded hitter, not a ton of power upside. Like you only, you see with four home runs, but the 26 doubles, you know, that accounts for a lot of what you need to see from a guy, if he's not going to hit a ton of home runs, he, he's driving the ball all over the field and, and making things happen at the plate. And he was he's probably the best hitter throughout the season at Winston-Salem, you know, overall. That was the, of the guys that were there for the majority of the year at Winston, you know, and he was he was in the middle, he's on the five, six part of that lineup for the entire season and uh, did a great job and is, you know, a, a great approach. And just, he's just clearly advanced. He, he's above, he's playing, he's just turned 25 a little while ago and he's playing at a level that he, you know, the, the level is, is, at the same place he was in college, you know, playing in an Arkansas at a big school in a power conference. It's uh he has the experience at this this level of competition, and he really should be starting in, in Birmingham next year for for my if it was my decision, just because his age and we we've seen him. I mean, he he did everything he needed to do to prove that he can hit at the at the high A level. So I'd like to see him continue to rise. And and like we said, you know, this is a system that has some serious catching depth now, and it'll be interesting. I think the only reason he wasn't in Birmingham towards the end of the season was because Edgar Caro was there and you're trying to get Edgar Caro as many possible innings as you can. So if Caro is still in Birmingham to start the year, maybe Turner does still start in high A just because you don't want to block him. I mean, maybe Turner's even in Charlotte soon enough. I, I think that's not crazy to think about. I think he, I mean, again, 25 years old, left-handed hitter um, who just is, you know, great. He was great all season with the bat. He, there was some dips here and there, but he was really just the most consistent hitter in Winston-Salem this season. Um, and is somebody who, you know, I, I, he, Think he? I hope he can stick behind the plate. He doesn't look like he's a great defensive catcher. He DH'd a fair handful of games for Winston, but he he looks solid. I think. I mean, if he can if he can stay behind the plate and and hit it the way he could hit, that's regardless of him getting drafted at you know an older age, he could be he could be a piece in the future. Yeah, he spent the majority of the time playing catcher, DH'd a handful of times, and would play first base sporadically, but. You talked about it, the the time spent in college, he turned 25 in August and participating in his full professional season for the first time, spent all the time in advance A, and that makes sense to me, allowing a player, you know, he's advanced in age, but took advantage of the uh, extra year of eligibility because of COVID in 2020 and made his way to Arkansas. That's no small feat, you know, participating in the MAC and then playing in the SEC and hit the way he did at age 23 in Arkansas. Elijah mentioned it, finished with an 890 OPS in his, his final season in college, comes over and continues to have success in the White Sox minor league system. So on the offensive side, that's always been a thing. As we're monitoring uh, Michael Turner, he was always been able to hit. So we're going to see if he can do it behind the plate because that would be such a huge lift. Let's talk about a Swiss Army knife that we like to follow as well, and Brooks Baldwin. Now, there's no one defined position for him. He's listed as a utility player. How often do you see a player with this type of profile have the amount of success that Baldwin has had this year? Yeah, Baldwin, the rare case. Um, I, I mean, he's not... There's nowhere you can put him that's like, oh, Baldwin is that. And yes, he's listed as a third baseman, and he probably I think he played the most of his games at third base. But this is a guy who, who you want on your major league roster. And that's not, not to say right now we want him on your major league roster, but this is a type of player that is just invaluable to so many teams in so many different ways, because you can play him 
all over the field. He looks comfortable. I mean, yes, he played the most of his games at third, but he can play second. He can be played all three different outfield positions at various times. I mean, it's just just a really fun player, all things considered, um, and somebody who continued to hit throughout the year. And we we saw him be, you know, a, a good a good piece and and look like he's got some pop. He's got some consistent contact. I mean, fifteen home runs for a guy who's you know a Swiss army knife type player um, with, you know, 22 stolen bases. He's got some speed, 42 walks. He's got some discipline, you know, a, a 269 batting average four three forty nine on base percentage. So just a, just a very well-rounded player and somebody that, you know, finished the year with Winston. I think he'll start the year with Winston. I think we could see him pretty quickly in Birmingham next year. Um, and, you know, at, again, a little bit more advanced 12th round pick. This is just really, really awesome to see that how many of these 2022 picks just succeeded this year and looked like legit pieces for the team. So, you know, I, I think Baldwin is somebody who we are going to be really excited about in the future. Switch hitter. That's another thing I should mention. Um, just, just a very quality baseball player who does a lot of things the right way and continues to look like somebody who could be a really nice utility player in the future. I don't think he's a star at any position, but I do think he's somebody who you love. It's a great thing to have a utility pieces around. And he's a guy who could play that role perfectly as he continues to develop. Boy, I'd love to talk to Baldwin about just what it's like not having a defined position. Let's move on to another infielder who plays multiple positions. And we wanted to give a shout out to this player, Mario Camaletti, because he's got quite the approach. Elijah, can you expand on that? Yeah, Camaletti has an insanely good plate approach. At 24 years old, this is another person we mentioned who, you know, is, is last year draft pick, eighth round, and it's just, it, it seems like the White Sox targeted a lot of guys that last year and this year to a degree who just are, are professional hitters and they know what they're doing at regardless of what level they're at. 98 walks this season for Camaletti. Are you serious? I mean, that, that just should not be possible um, at his level. Uh, it's just... It's just crazy. I, I'm very excited to see what happens with him. A 429 on base percentage. Um, and somebody who doesn't have a ton of power, but quality contact skills and just a guy who is nothing but consistent and, you know, was all year in Kannapolis was amazing and then went up to Winston-Salem and did more of the same thing where he wasn't even hitting that well, but he still had a 410 on base percentage because he was walking all the time. So this is somebody who I, I think, you know, at, at, again, at 24 years old, starting finished the season in Winston. I think he starts there. I think this is another quick riser and a guy who you expect to keep rising in the system because he's that consistent. All right. We just went through a number of names. Boy, the list is a lot more fun to follow, I would say, than years past because you talked about it. There's a plan in place when identifying a player. I think makeup is a, a huge priority for the White Sox in identifying those who they believe will have success at the professional level. And let's look at the makeup of Jacob Burke, somebody who is just nose to the ground. I am going to be the best player on the field. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be recognized as the best player on the field. Love watching him play center field. He covers plenty of ground. He's athletic. He was Somebody who always had success at the plate at whatever level uh, that he was challenged at, and this year is no different. Looking at his season, combined in advanced A and low A, he finished with an 832 OPS, hit 294, uh, six homers, stole 19 bases. 
I, I'm a fan of Jacob Burke. He's listed in our top 30. He's also participating in the Arizona Fall League. It's just one of those guys. He's like a free safety out in center field, built 6'1", 208. And when you watch him play, you could see that the athleticism is showcased. Yeah, for sure. He's just a, he's a freak of nature out there um, in center field. And he's a guy who I think has a lot of, you know, he you might first notice him for his defense, actually, because his defense out there has been phenomenal. But at the plate, you know, 19 stolen bases, he's got some speed, he, he 24 doubles, he's just got a consistent contact approach, you know, and almost almost 400 on base percentage this season. So this is a guy who looked great in his first professional season. Um, and, you know, ended up playing 50 games with Winston. He got promoted fairly early in the season because of how good he had been in Kannapolis. I mean, he was he was just tearing it up in Kannapolis. And you saw his numbers decrease a little bit at Winston-Salem. Um, there was a few games where he looked a little bit overmatched at times. But generally speaking, still, you know, still a 377 on base percentage at Winston-Salem at high A level in his first professional season. Um, to go along with, like we said, great defense, good speed, athleticism, and just a player who is just a fun, hard-nosed guy who is going to get the job done and do everything he can do to help the team win. So that's somebody who I, I think is going to be really fun to watch him at the AFL. Getting you know getting sent to the, the Arizona Fall League and you're at the end of your first professional season is really not common thing i think you see more often guys like ramos and montgomery who are, are closer to big league ready and i think that's how that shows how the white Sox feel about burke and how they they're really excited about him and i think he's a guy who could keep rising 22 years old with that type of defense and athleticism could continue to be a guy that we have to keep on our radars based on how he performed this year so it'll be interesting to see if his bat can kind of continue to elevate next season. Um, but he's he's just a toolsy player who is going to be fun to watch. And I want to I want to quickly mention the fact that we, I, I know I keep saying this, but just for, for reference for people, we just mentioned six players on this episode that were all drafted in the 2022 draft. And most of them weren't even the early picks in the draft. So these are, I mean, this is a lot of, I mean, Burke, right, it's 11th rounder last year. We just mentioned like a bunch of like 8th through 17th round guys who were all great in their first season. So... The White Sox drafting and, and development has not been what we would love it to be over the last decade. But there's a lot of really good signs from the last two draft classes. Um, and it's exciting something to follow going into next year as, as we look forward to the future and this, this sort of rebuild the White Sox are going through. It's exciting to monitor the fact that our last two draft classes so far are looking really, really productive. And that's just something that we, we're going to keep an eye on. And it, obviously, it's at the at the single A and high A level primarily, like we're mentioning, that's, that's all what today's about. But it's a, as these guys get promoted next year to, to from single A to high A or from high A to double A, whatever it might be, it, it's fun to watch this draft class continue to develop. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because we highlight the effort of Mike Shirley and his staff. And that's why we were excited to see that he was still in his chair as Chris gets took over and added other pieces to his front office, it's important to recognize the job that this drafting and development staff have done over the last four draft classes. And this is something that we should celebrate because it's not going to happen overnight. This is something that is uh, showcasing itself to be the beginning of something we hope to be great. And that's the way that the White Sox are going to operate is graduate and replenish talent within the farm system. And that's started by identification within the draft. And look, the international scouting department, they need to take a step up as well. A lot of these players have kind of fallen through. Uh, we just saw Yolbert Sanchez, for example, get cut by the organization. That was kind of a, a jab to the gut. Also should mention, we just went through a bunch of names in single A. Let's look forward to double A AA and triple A on the next episode. A little preview of that, Terrell Tatum, 
was named by Baseball America as the minor league player of the year for the Chicago White Sox. So he will be featured, I'm sure, on the next episode. And we should also talk about the fact that Elijah Evans spoke to Seth Keener. This was a third-round draft pick who I think uh, can be special in the way that he develops into a starting pitcher. He is solely focused on becoming a starting pitcher. I implore you to listen to that interview because it was insightful. Love to hear from the player himself. And uh, Elijah got a lot of really good information about Seth Keener. This is a guy who participated in a very, very deep uh, Wake Forest rotation. He was thrust into the rotation because of injury, spent time in the bullpen. He was a hybrid arm. Now he's a full-time starter. So love for you to hear the insight uh, of a unique player. So Elijah, great work there. Great work today. Really looking forward to the next episode next week's final thoughts as we wrap it up. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future of this team and I'm looking forward to the Arizona Fall League. Um, I hope everybody checks out the Keener interview. He's a really, really interesting guy um, who gives a, a cool perspective to the way he's approaching pitching and the way that he just approaches his game in general. Um, and in addition to that, look out for more interviews to come. Hopefully I should be having some more prospect interviews throughout the offseason um, just to give you know, our, our White Sox listeners, an idea of who some of these prospects are that we talk about on this show. And it's, it's, it's a really fun thing to get to hear directly from prospects because these are, these are young guys who are working really, really hard. As much as you see guys who, who may struggle at the minor league level in their first professional season, or even in their third professional season, these guys are all working incredibly hard to succeed at the next level. And, and the White Sox are building a strong group of guys in this farm system that I just want to keep um, being able to introduce to, to our listeners. So everybody, yeah, keep staying tuned for the Future Sox podcast. We've got a, we've got plenty of stuff coming this offseason. And, and in a time where the White Sox don't have much to look forward to, there is a lot of content to be found with Future Sox uh, focused on the minor league system. So I'm looking forward to next week and uh, talking with you more than Mike. That's Elijah Evans. Yeah, the future of the White Sox within the minor leagues. We hope. It sure does look like it. And I hope they do commit to minor league development and they get to that next step. For Elijah Evans, my name is Mike Reagan. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox Roundup. We are part of the Broadcast Basement Network. Make sure you give them a follow on Twitter and follow us at ElijahEV8. That's the number eight. And I am at Rankin906. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next week.